You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. OpenSea basically makes all this complexity really straightforward and easy by creating an API that lets you see the metadata, all the images for all the tokens that someone owns, or to search for all the tokens on a contract, all the tokens matching a search query. And we're, la- we're a layer between blockchains and dApps that want to build on top of non-fungible tokens. Today, we're joined by Devin Finzer and Alex Tala, founders of OpenSea. OpenSea is the first and largest peer-to-peer marketplace for crypto goods, like an eBay for crypto assets which include collectibles, gaming items, and other virtual goods backed by a blockchain. On OpenSea, anyone can buy or sell these items through a smart contract. After announcing a $2 million seed round from top-tier investors over the first two months, as the number of games in the space continues to increase, OpenSea has around half a million dollars in volume. I think you'll like today's episode because scarce digital collectibles are one of the exciting use cases for blockchains, and you can list buy and sell your digital collectibles on OpenSea.io. Okay, guys, welcome. Please introduce yourself. My name is Devin Finzer, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of OpenSea. And I'm Alex Atala. I'm the co-founder and CTO. Where are you guys joining us from today? We're in Lyon, France at the Blockchain Game Conference two-day conference with games being built on blockchains, mainly Ethereum, and marketing and tooling companies that are growing up around the ecosystem. And how did you both get into crypto? Yeah, so my introduction to crypto as a Silicon Valley software developer was through Bitcoin, but I had always followed it pretty peripherally. And Ethereum was kind of the platform that got me to dig into crypto a little deeper. Um, So Alex and I started tinkering with things um, on nights and weekends. We were really excited about CryptoKitties as kind of the first decentralized app that was really targeted at a mainstream consumer. That app ecosystem evolving for the first time was what brought both of us deeper into the space. OpenSea went through Y Combinator. What was that experience like? We loved it. We were in the winter 2018 batch and... When we joined, we had great advisors, Holly Lou and Aaron Harris, and they brought a lot of the fundamentals of building startups to crypto, especially in January, which was a very bubbly, the end of like a very bubbly time for crypto. So we were in a batch with five other crypto startups, I think, including Quantstamp, which has been on the show. And we learned a ton from them. I mean, other companies in the batch were incredible. And yeah, I was learning these like fundamentals about what's important and what's not important in the early stages of company building, because there's a lot that's not important that people get distracted by. And YC is very good about delineating the difference. Yeah, that's great. We've had a few of the YC alumni on our podcast, including Dharma and Quantstamp, and they've had very positive things to say about the experience. So tell us about OpenSea. What is OpenSea? What problem are you solving? Sure. So OpenSea is the first and largest marketplace for 
digital assets that are backed by a blockchain. So there are a lot of different terms for these assets. Some people call them crypto goods. Some people call them crypto collectibles. But basically, you can think of them as a new class of assets that are backed by a blockchain and kind of owned in the same way that people own cryptocurrency. So for a long time, we've had digital assets in games. Um, we've had tickets. We've had all sorts of things that users kind of own on the internet. But this is the first time that they really own their stuff. And what that means is that you can create an open marketplace where people can buy and sell all of those things. So CryptoKitties was kind of the first project that pioneered this model where the items themselves were backed by a blockchain, but there was a user experience that was somewhat controlled by a company. And so we got our start with CryptoKitties, allowing for another marketplace experience around them. But then after CryptoKitties, there was just a ton of excitement in the non-fungible token space and tons of projects that saw CryptoKitties and were interested in different variations of unique digital assets. And OpenSea has become the marketplace for all of those items. So more and more, we're starting to work directly with projects that are creating non-fungible tokens, creating unique digital assets. And instead of those projects creating their own marketplaces, they actually use OpenSea as kind of a Lego block and build their marketplace on top of OpenSea. Um, so as time goes on, we build up more and more liquidity around these unique digital assets on our marketplace. So walk me through how OpenSea is used. So if I you know, went to OpenSea, what would I see today? How would I interact with it? It's a decentralized marketplace, which means that the users that are interacting with OpenSea are to some extent likely onboarded into the decentralized ecosystem. So most of them um, know about MetaMask, they have a wallet with a seed phrase, and the way that they interact with OpenSea is that they have some stuff in a game and they want to be able to sell it. Or they have, they're browsing and they want to be able to buy an item that they can use in a game. Um, and the way that actually happens underneath the hood is a user would unlock their MetaMask, instantly see all of their digital assets because they're actually, they live in a sense in their wallet, tap on one of those assets, hit sell, and then complete a MetaMask signature or a signature from whatever wallet they're using to say, I'm willing to sell this thing for this amount of tokens or this amount of ETH. And they do that by posting an off-chain order to our order book which can then be settled by someone who's willing to buy that asset. And when that settlement happens, the asset that they own is swapped from the seller's wallet into the buyer's wallet. And of course, the seller receives the payment in ETH for that exchange. And that all happens atomically, meaning that there's no sort of risk of the seller not receiving their payment or the buyer not receiving their item. And this might sound like an exchange, you know, similar to a decentralized exchange like DDEX or Radar Relay, but we, we designed it in a way that looks like eBay so that it feels like these, these are real things because they are, you use them, like you can use them within games, they can earn you profits. Um, sometimes you can add items to them, upgrade them, dress them up. And it feels like a, a marketplace more than a exchange. Guys, why, why are non-fungible assets important? Why are they interesting to you? How do you see them evolving? 
I think one of the funny things about non-fungible assets is crypto really started with currencies. Um, and so there's been a lot of focus around tokens and, ex and exchanges, but the kind of spectrum of things that you can put on a blockchain is much broader. So non-fungible assets are really just stuff that can be represented and is unique, right? So that could be stuff in the digital world, things like game items, things like tickets, um, or it could be stuff in the, in the real world, things like real estate or paintings. Um, and so in, what a non-fungible asset is from a technical perspective is just a unique digital asset that isn't like a currency where you can add two together and trade them on an exchange. But the, it's a much broader term than I think a lot of people give it credit. All these non-fungible tokens, even though they all look different, have different metadata, different representations and functionality, they all share this new property of interoperability where you can count on them having this immutable public API, a blockchain behind them that always tells anyone who wants to know who owns what. And it turns out this has like very big implications for building ecosystems around games. Items just become way more useful when it's not just one company acknowledging their value, but 20, 30, 40 companies and all the like support and marketing and, and tools and integrations and other games that you get out of it. CryptoKitties, for example, has tons of games called the Kittyverse, where you can use your cat in racing games. You can use your cat to do fighting, like a one-on-one -on -one battle scenes and... It helps when, when new developers want to enter the space, they can build something and instantly show people what they own. Solves the empty table problem, where when you create something, you got to get the user to give up a lot of information to log in, etc. Now, if you have a mobile wallet connected to your browser, we can use the OpenSea API and show people all their assets. What is actually decentralized about these items? So I think um, a lot of people tend to glorify what it means to have an item backed by a blockchain they'll say oh this item is on a smart contract thus it'll never be changed right but really the way this ecosystem is evolving there are still websites right and those websites have to read from smart contracts and display data and so if a website developer wants to change the supply in a smart contract they could deploy a new smart contract and point their website to it and users would not have a say in that, right? So what gives these items value is really only when there's enough of an ecosystem around the items that that can't happen, right? So for example, with CryptoKitties case, if CryptoKitties was just CryptoKitties.co and they decided they want to you know, take away a bunch of users' CryptoKitties, they could deploy a new CryptoKitties.co contract, you know, maybe remint all of the existing CryptoKitties except the ones they want to burn onto that new contract, point the website to the new one, and then say, here's CryptoKitties. But they can't do that precisely because projects like OpenSea, projects like Kitty Hats, <laughs> projects like Kitty Race have built this ecosystem around CryptoKitties that gives these assets value. And so... Uh, a really interesting moment for me was we saw this kind of early Twitch uh, streamer who was browsing through all of these blockchain games and kind of trying them out. Um, he was just excited about crypto gaming. And then he went to OpenSea and he saw all of his stuff and he was like, this is my stuff. 
this is part of my identity. This is who I am. These things are not going to go away. Um, and it was really exciting to kind of see that actual value prop of interoperable open protocols manifested in that way for a user. Um, because I think if, if we just say it's a smart contract and hence users will value it, that's not going to fly when users don't understand the blockchain. It's really interoperability and open ecosystems that create that emergent value of items. I've heard a lot of teams talk about you know, different non-fungible assets, right? So CryptoKitties was the first, you know, and there's been plenty of art use cases. There's been items and game use cases. You know, there's been collectible use cases. What do you guys see as the quote unquote, you know, killer app in non-fungible assets? The use case that really gets this type of asset into mainstream. We've been working in the space for a while, so we've seen a ton of experimentation. Um, we've seen a ton of iterations after CryptoKitties. And the way we kind of classify it is, broadly speaking, two types of approaches. So a lot of the activity is in gaming. And the two things that people are trying in the gaming space are, number one, they're taking traditional games. And instead of building an entirely sort of vertically integrated gaming experience, they say, let's put the items on the blockchain. Let's still build a really high quality game around the items, but let's have them be traded openly on exchanges, have them be a little bit more interoperable, but still build a compelling game that's going to get gamers interested. And then I'd say the second category is these sort of very unique blockchain native use cases and these blockchain native games where a lot of the gameplay actually exists on chain. These games tend to be highly speculative in nature. You can draw some analogies to the ICO booms where a lot of often the the first purchasers of the asset will will be able to profit based on um, some speculation in the market. But the blockchain, the game actually feels like this open, vibrant economy where you know, you have decentralized exchanges for the token in the game. You have open marketplaces like OpenSea for the assets. And there's all these sort of interesting things going on and, and they're really leveraging blockchain. So those two categories are, are basically number one, existing games moving to the blockchain. And number two is like these weird experimental blockchain games. What are some of the non-fungible assets being traded on OpenSea right now? Obviously, CryptoKitties is quite popular. You have an activity feed. You can see all the action happening Walk us through kind of the landscape available today. OpenSea is kind of designed not to overfit to any specific category of item. Um, so we do really think of ourselves as an eBay as opposed to like a game marketplace. Um, so what we have right now is the primary categories are number one, games. Um, number two, there's a lot of digital art projects where basically people are minting unique art on the blockchain. And then three is this kind of experimental category. And that includes things like software licenses put on the blockchain, as well as there's a project doing advertising real estate on the blockchain. And so those are super interesting, but they have they tend to have smaller user bases. In the gaming category, CryptoKitties was the first one we launched with. Um, we tend to be a little smaller there because they have their own marketplace. And then really where we shine is these games that really built with the idea that items were traded openly from the get-go. So games in that category 
include ETH Town, which is kind of like a SimCity investor game. Um, there's a game called Crypto Voxels, which is kind of a Minecraft type game where you build virtual experiences on parcels. And then there's a few sort of new games that are kicking off their economy on OpenSea. So actually one that we did recently called War Riders ran their pre-sale through OpenSea, but had their items instantly tradable. So a lot of these games will launch with a marketplace even before the game itself launches because it's so easy to get up and running. In terms of scale, uh, what are some numbers you can share with us? Maybe in, you know number of assets listed or dollars flowing through the system? We have about 1.3 million assets on the marketplace right now and say 150,000 that are on sale thereabouts. We've done about 1,300 ETH in volume since we launched in January, but it really depends on which games are kind of hot because they all go through phases. Um, we have probably 50 games that we explicitly whitelist in OpenSea.io with many other games that you can still browse, but we don't put it in the sidebar. We tend to want to interact a lot with the developers and the community too, before we list a game in the main sidebar on the homepage. So as the CryptoKitties craze has inevitably slowed down a bit, what, what trends are you observing in non-fungible assets, you know, specifically maybe you know, being at this gaming conference? The overall trend is the quality bar is just going up and up. So CryptoKitties made this big mainstream splash and was really able to sustain their game within the early adopter community. But it was hard for a mainstream user to continue getting engaged in CryptoKitties because it was very tied to the excitement around crypto. Um, and so now what we're seeing is games really have to engage their users with unique experiences. And they're bringing in some of the game economy knowledge from the traditional game industry into blockchain. So they're experimenting with things like crafting, um, they're experimenting with things like fighting, and they're experimenting with games that look like real legitimate 3D first person, all sorts of different games where blockchain is just a component of it. And then another trend that we're seeing is a lot of interest from IP owners in the space. So recently there was a game called MLB Crypto that actually partnered with the MLBPA to issue unique crypto collectibles on the blockchain. This is kind of an early experimental space where you're taking a traditional physical collectible and you're saying, you can own these physical things, but now there's a, an equivalent digital asset um, that has those same ownership properties, the same kind of interesting economics of open marketplaces. And we're actually seeing some some pretty interesting like engagement in those types of games as well. And tell us more about how OpenSea interacts with other protocols. You know, how, how does it interact with Ethereum? How will it interact with other smart contract platforms and they go live? OpenSea basically for any kind of blockchain and most of it, almost all of it right now is Ethereum. OpenSea looks at new blocks being mined and tracks which transactions are of known contract addresses for a non-fungible token. Every token has a smart contract that basically memorizes who owns what and controls how to trade or transfer ownership of one asset between people. So OpenSea does two things on the smart contract. One is it tracks 
ownership changes when a token gets sent to somebody or when someone sells a token. And it also maps token IDs to lots of metadata that we have about each token. And metadata sometimes comes from a, a third-party server that's from the developer directly. Sometimes it's IPFS, so the developer can't change it after it's been set on a token. Uh, sometimes the token metadata is actually in the contract or in the logs coming out of the contract. And OpenSea basically makes all this complexity really straightforward and easy by creating an API that lets you see the metadata, all the images for all the tokens that someone owns, or to search for all the tokens on a contract, all the tokens matching a search query. And we're, we're a layer between blockchains and dApps that want to build on top of non-fungible tokens. Yeah, and to add a little to that, um, there have been a couple, I think, articles about the dApp stack. Right now, the way that OpenSea looks is there's the Ethereum blockchain, um, and then deployed on the Ethereum blockchain are smart contracts that allow the settlement of uh, orders for non-fungible assets. And then a layer on top of that, as Alex described, is caching that data um, making it easily queryable. And then maybe a final layer is the actual uh, UI on top of OpenSea that a user is interacting with. And how does OpenSea make money? Are you charging a small transaction fee for every exchange? Currently, yes. So we have a default transaction fee for uh, all of the items that we list in our marketplace. And then the model um, that we've been pioneering with several development teams is we do a revenue share when we work with new games. So if a game says, oh, I want to host my primary marketplace on OpenSea, we split that revenue between uh, the game developer and OpenSea every time that a secondary sale is made. We also have an affiliate program where we'll give actually most of our fee to the user that referred the buyer uh, for an asset that was on sale. It's a complicated program that's still under a lot of development, but we want to make it powerful, flexible, and programmable because it's a key part of sharing incentives for this community. And how, how does it work with the gas costs? If I'm exchanging my non-fungible asset with Devin, am I paying the gas fee or is that included in the transaction fee that OpenSea takes and OpenSea just nets out its own fee? Yeah, it's a great question. So in just a general statement is that Gas costs matter a lot to users. When gas prices were high, I think there was some rogue contract a couple of months ago, we saw like overall DAP usage just decline dramatically. So we've done a lot of work figuring out how we can optimize the full life cycle of a user's gas costs over time. And for sellers, once you approve the OpenSea contract to trade your assets, every listing is gasless. Um, so listing an asset does not require gas, which is actually very unique among other blockchain marketplaces for games. And then the settlement, currently the buyer pays the gas. That does not need to be the case. Um, we could subsidize the gas and we're actually thinking about doing that. We just, it's kind of on our roadmap, but there's, yeah, there's lots of clever things you can do with maybe taking a fee, but accelerating the transaction by paying the gas yourselves. But currently it, it is the buyer that pays the gas. Maybe this is a good transition into OpenSea Bundles. I saw your announcement in your Discord. What is OpenSea Bundles? 
bundles is a brand new feature we just launched that lets you create collections of assets that can be from different games or different types of assets and sell them all at once in one transaction. So the seller, if they've approved access to the tokens they're, they're bundling, doesn't pay any gas. They just create a signature and they have a bundle and they can set the price for all the assets in it. And then a buyer comes along later and, and can buy them and in one transaction gets a whole bunch of assets delivered straight to their wallet. This can be possibly the only way a seller could sell not super valuable assets in combination with one interesting asset. It's also a way of diversifying a purchase because maybe you don't really know what you're getting, but you don't really know how the games work, but at least you're getting some items for a whole bunch of games in one purchase. It makes some buyers feel more interested in doing it. How far off are we in terms of timing until someone that hasn't spent a lot of time with blockchains could use OpenSea, right? I mean, there's a lot of components you talked about. There's MetaMask, um, there's Acquire and ETH, um, there's the gas fee, there's you know a, pr a product like Bundles. Where are we in kind of the timeline here and what needs to happen for this to go more mainstream? Yeah, I think um, there's several kind of low-hanging fruit that I think will definitely happen over the next year. One of those is I think we'll probably see a lot of innovation on the wallet side. So MetaMask is great for power users, um, but I think we're going to see more experimentation with hosted wallets. So there are a couple projects in that space. I think we're going to see a lot of innovation uh, with mobile wallets that are more focused around DAP usage and maybe abstract away a lot of uh, the interactions with the blockchain. Also on the um, kind of onboarding side, I, we're starting to see a lot of games that are experimenting with onboarding users into these crypto assets with fiat and potentially hosting the assets on a centralized wallet temporarily and then allowing them to get into crypto later down the funnel. Um, so I think that can be a powerful way to bring people into the crypto ecosystem um, because they're just so excited about the game that they're playing and and maybe they want to sell their item. And yeah, in terms of how far away, I it's hard to say, but I think what we've seen over the last couple of months is that there's a ton of talent that is very aware and excited about uh, solving a lot of these problems. Because of that, it could happen faster than one might predict because there's just so many different teams working on all different pieces of this in parallel. So I'd say over the next year, I think the user experience is going to get a lot better. And how big of an opportunity is this for you guys? You know, how, how, how big is this market opportunity? If you kind of start with the digitally native chunk of the market. So that's like, you know, you look at the existing market for virtual goods, it's in the tens of billions. And so that opportunity is pretty massive. People actually, they already really value their digital stuff. It's just that they've always been very limited um, with what they could do with it, right? Um, yeah, so people have valued digital assets for a long time. Um, it's just always been very limited uh, in terms of what you could do with it, uh, in terms of the liquidity that you could achieve by selling things on an open marketplace. Typically, these assets are very confined to isolated ecosystems. Um, and so we think that'll add a big premium 
on that already large market for virtual goods. But ultimately, it expands far beyond the sort of virtual good economy that you see in games to other sorts of digital assets, things like tickets, things like domain names, although maybe it'll be sort of the decentralized uh, native domain names. And then down the road, we think uh, there's opportunities for tokenizing physical assets as well. And in fact, there's already been some experimentation uh, in that area with the Codex protocol tokenizing uh, physical art. And maybe OpenSea won't sort of be the exchange for real estate, for example. I think there'll be these more vertically tailored experiences for some of those types of sales. But I think we have the potential to be pretty generic and achieve liquidity across a variety of different asset classes. To put some numbers in it, virtual goods are about a $15 billion market. Game items are a small subset of that. And then blockchain game items just show how far there is to go. We're probably about a tenth of a billion dollars right now. So the stuff that needs to happen is we have to go back to what users really want. Gamers, to quote John Linden at Niantic Labs, gamers want a bigger stake in the games they already love. And blockchains give them ownership and give them that stake. Uh, sellers want to sell things fast. Buyers want to buy things cheap and not have to worry about the seller not actually owning it or the marketplace not being trustworthy. So when the content gets really good, the infrastructure needs to be there for it. Agree. So you guys have, are off to a really good start. You've announced a seed round of about $2 million from really great investors. You're iterating fast, introducing features like bundles. You're waiting for the market to mature and grow. And there's been a lot of progress and talent devoted to that goal. Well, how do you think about the, the competitive environment here? Are there other uh, non-fungible asset decentralized trading platforms? Um, are there other alternative ways to trade CryptoKitties and, and these non-fungible tokens? Yeah, I think in the in the short run, at least, um, most of our kind of direct competition is the decision on the part of a game developer to rebuild their own marketplace, right? So traditionally, like a game developer will build all pieces of the stack and a lot of projects will want to own more than just the gaming experience. They'll also want to own like the primary market. So I think for OpenSea, we really have to strengthen our value proposition and ensure that we're symbiotic with the game fully. And I think that's, it's actually kind of awesome that we have to do that because um, if we didn't build our marketplace with incentives aligned all around from the get-go, then we'd run into those problems down the road and we'd, we'd have these antagonistic relationships with game developers. So I think right now, yeah, there is a lot of interest in owning that marketplace experience from game developers, but there's a lot of game developers who kind of embrace the open economy and build on top of OpenSea. Um, and then the other sort of class of competition is projects that are taking a much more like vertical specific approach to this problem and saying we want to be focused on existing games and we're going to help them tokenize their assets and sort of create layers on top of uh, ethereum that make that really easy and we think that's actually going to probably help us in the long run ultimately tokenization of existing games that's hard work that will lead to more assets being backed by erc721 contracts and thus tradable on an open market like OpenSea. Right now, I think at a high level, it's 
we're less worried about competition and more just focused on like, how are we going to grow this space as a whole? And I'd say everyone in the space is super collaborative, which is nice. How can our listeners follow the progress of OpenSea? Good place to start is our Twitter, which is at Project OpenSea. And we post a lot of updates there, but to get kind of like a high level overview of the big features that we're launching or the big new projects that we've come across, our Medium, which is medium.com slash OpenSea, our blog, is a great place to kind of read slightly longer pieces about the company, about we have a tutorial for how to list land in Decentraland and also listed in Decentraland's own marketplace, basically double list your land. Uh, we have interesting tutorials for other things in OpenSea, like bidding on assets, which is a huge feature for us, for buyers to be able to value other assets in games. For the last couple of minutes of the podcast, we like to talk to our guests about just about the crypto markets in general. So maybe we can start. What are some important trends in the crypto ecosystem right now that you guys are observing being on the front lines? Yeah, I think this is maybe cliche at this point, but I think we're moving from exuberance phase to building phase. A lot of the projects that you know weren't really building core infrastructure or building useful uh, pieces of the ecosystem have been weeded out. And I think there's now, it's a little easier actually to parse um, the space and figure out what's going on. Uh, what really excites us is we're sort of in the Lego block building phase. There's all of these different pieces that, you know, it's not always clear. Maybe some of them overlap in uh, some ways. So maybe Lego blocks isn't the best analogy, but they're building these infrastructure pieces that will come together and power a lot of this sort of new economy. Folks like Dharma are building out lending protocols that could interact symbiotically with OpenSea. You could imagine... I think uh, the Dharma founder, uh, Nadav, talked about this use case, but the idea of collateralizing a loan based on a non-fungible token like a CryptoKitty. So that's something that fits perfectly into the OpenSea ecosystem. I would say as a whole, um, obviously, after the downturn, we've now come to this exciting phase where um, it's a wild west and you know, sort of figuring out how everything fits together. To make an analogy, it's like, Back in the 90s, when companies were raising money on how much their view hit counter on the site was saying, uh, for how many users they were getting, we may be moving past that stage in the crypto era and getting down to more fundamentals. Yeah. And to that point, what, what are some project early stage crypto projects you guys are personally excited about? Early stage ones? There's uh, one called Bitski that is a, a kind of a managed wallet instead of MetaMask being a Chrome extension that you download to connect Ether to your browser. Bitsky manages a wallet on their own servers for you and exposes an SDK so that developers can easily get users to have wallets and store things in them, which you can always send to your own decentralized wallet if you want. Uh, these projects that are building really fundamental building blocks. So Dharma uh, is a great example uh, of a, a reusable component. I think Filecoin is really exciting to us because we do see a ton of demand for decentralized storage for 
all of these new collectibles and, and games. And then there's definitely a, a lot of games that are completely under the radar from a VC perspective because they're probably not investable from a venture fund, but they're innovative, they're exciting, and they're cool. And we think they're pushing the space forward. So we're always like excited to see that type of stuff happen too. There's a, also a company called EveryDap oh, that yeah. is selling ad space on OpenSea, which is kind of an interesting use case because you could then buy an ad and then resell it later to someone else and they would have control over what shows up on EveryDap site. Yeah, that's quite interesting. What are you guys, you know, fast forward to 2025, um, what does the non-fungible asset ecosystem look like? One kind of vision of the space that spans beyond just non-fungible tokens is if you look at where gaming could potentially go to in the next uh, six or seven years, I think we can kind of forecast that a lot of those UI challenges users having to deal with the nitty gritty of the technology are going to be solved. And what emerges from that is really this highly interoperable ecosystem of code deployed on basically an entirely new type of computer, whether that's Ethereum or, or some other blockchain. Um, and so what that might look like from a user experience perspective is items that are interoperable across tons of different ecosystems, right? You know, maybe you assume that virtual reality has matured a little bit uh, in that time span as well. And you're now viewing your your items in a virtual universe, but you're also trading them on your, your mobile phone. You know, you could kind of imagine what a second life might look like if any developer could come and build on any piece of second life. Um, so it'd be kind of this tangled web of gameplay economies people valuing their assets such that they can take real loans off of virtual land or virtual items. Um, we think that uh, one vision of this is kind of the gaming sphere really starting to blur the lines between what's a game and what is you know, a piece of someone's life that they value and interact with in a real way. And when you add the kind of interoperability that comes from the blockchain, you can create those kind of crazy, unique economic experiences that you couldn't really do in uh, traditional games, right? Yeah, I think another thing that'll happen in the next 10, 15 years is brands will start getting involved and start seeing non-fungible tokens, kind of like they see websites where, like imagine David Guetta issuing backstage passes, actually something Kanye West might consider doing earlier. And these backstage passes are basically non-fungible tokens that can be resold or exchanged or interoperable in a bunch of different games, sites, projects. It's kind of like right now we're at 1994 when there were a couple hundred websites, just like there are a couple hundred real non-fungible tokens or types of non-fungible tokens. And everybody though could make one and use it to give their fans a bigger stake in their future. The key takeaways from today's episode are, one, scarce digital collectibles, known as non-fungible assets, are one of the exciting use cases enabled by blockchains. Two, OpenSea is the first and largest marketplace for crypto goods, like an eBay for crypto assets. And three, although usability and adoption are early, there is a lot of potential for non-fungible assets to be one of the killer use cases for crypto. 
Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc. Thank you.